And that's the thing about being a painter, I feel like, is sometimes you just have to trust it and you've got to go with it. And even if it ends up being a series you don't show anyone, it still has to be made because it gets you to that next spot. And I think it can be really scary to do that. I know I was like, again, what the hell am I doing? Why would I make this? But it seemed like the only thing that I could make right then because the circumstances were pretty dire at that moment for me. So it forced me, it forced my hand, you know, and I'm trying to learn from that and take that into the next phase of, of what I'm making that when something feels a little bit risky or like a little like, Oh, I don't know about that. That's really the way I should go in my work. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 266th episode, I'm super excited to be joined by a special guest. Erica B. Hess joins the podcast once again to talk all about her paintings and, of course, her fabulous podcast, I Like Your Work Podcast. This also marks a special anniversary for Studio Break as it is officially 10 years old this October, October 12th to be specific. So again, super excited to be doing this podcast for 10 years and featuring tons of different artists. And of course, we talk all about that in the interview and of course, Erica's background growing up in Ohio and how she studied at Wright State University, really being interested in painting and developing that further at Boston University. She went on to work for a variety of different artists and, of course, started I Like Your Work podcast and moved back to Ohio. We talk a bit about that and the development of I Like Your Work podcast, the development of her paintings, which were largely informed from observation at first and then slowly grew to explore all these fantastic colors that are influenced by you know various figurative elements, landscape elements, and of course we break all that down coming up in the interview. I'm super excited to announce that for the 10th year anniversary, we've got a lot of special things lined up for our pro competition, which Erica is so kind to be our juror, so we're excited to have her on board. She'll be selecting 10 artists to be featured on an upcoming episode of Studio Break. There's also going to be an opportunity for two artists to have solo exhibitions. One of those is going to be in a new space in West Chicago called Hedgehog Gallery in 2022. And I am going to be having a space for Studio Break that's opening in 2022 as well. So there's going to be another solo exhibition offered there. So again, lots of cool opportunities. Super easy to apply. All you do is submit a fee. You submit your web portfolio and or Instagram and you are done. Just email those all in and you can find out all the information by visiting the competition page on studiobreak.com. Our deadline is going to be November 30th. If you're new to the podcast, while you're there, check out some of the archived episodes that you might have missed out on. Again, we got a big archive of artists that have appeared on the podcast. Once again, all of those posts have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites. You can learn all about them. And of course, you can listen right in the default player while you're looking at images, or you can subscribe to the podcast. And then that way, every time there's a new episode, you got something to throw on to fill the studio void. You can also stay up to date by following us in social media. So be sure to like our Facebook page. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break. And of course, on Instagram, be sure to follow at Studio underscore Break. And with those exciting announcements, let's dive right into this episode with Erica B. Hess. Stay tuned. Welcome to Studio Break. Erica B. Hess, welcome back. How are you doing? Oh, David, it is such a pleasure to be here. I've really been looking forward to talking to you because it's always so much fun to connect and talk about art, podcasting, and all the other good stuff. So thank you. Yeah, I reached out as you 
No, at this point, I mean, again, it's literally going to be 10 years this coming October for me. So I thought, you know, let's let's bring somebody on that, you know, has been kind of really tearing it up in the podcast scene. And obviously we had that initial conversation way back in December 18th of 2000. Mm. Gosh, see, <laughs> I, have to, I, have to, I have to look at it, right? 2018. So that's already going on three years ago, like you were pointing out. So, I mean, again, how does time move this quickly, right? Oh, I know. I know. And I want to say, oh my gosh, congratulations. 10 years. That is huge. That is such a big deal. So um, congrats. And I'm just really happy that you you did reach out to me. And I cannot believe it was three years ago. It does not feel like that. At all. Yeah, I, I think things obviously moved. And certainly we've been catching up and talking about how strange, especially the past, I don't know, 17, 18 months have been during this pandemic. I mean, again, you kind of yeah. lose count. I feel like we're living in, you know, some sort of alternate reality, you know, some days. So Oh, definitely. Definitely. It's like, I'm, I feel like the past year just has disappeared to be totally honest because of the different ways to live our life, you know, and the different changes that have happened around us socially. So, um, yeah, but regardless, I'm, I'm thrilled to be on here. And again, congrats on 10 years. That's a big deal. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. And so, you know, I know that I won't go back into episode uh, 207 in great detail. Obviously, people should check that out if they haven't, because we break down your work, your background much more in depth, especially maybe some of those earlier stages and experiences. But if you could maybe kind of just maybe talk a little bit about where you're from and, and some of the experiences that you've had uh, and, you know, essentially where you're at now. I was born in Ohio, so I'm originally from Appalachia, Ohio, in a really small town. I grew up hiking and in the woods and, of course, pre-internet. So a lot of my experience was being creative and just making things because I couldn't, like, walk to a corner store or something. I was, like, in the middle of the woods. <laughs> and that's <laughs> that served me really well later and, and even now, I think. So I ended up getting my BFA at Wright State, which was an incredible program for me. And I studied painting and then went on to Boston University, where I... I worked with John Walker, Dana Frankfurt, Richard Razelis, just really incredible painters who were very much dedicated to that practice. Um, so after that, I was in New York City for a while where I was an artist assistant. Then I was at University of Michigan back to Boston. And now I am in Columbus, Ohio, where I have my studio. Um, so I, of course, have continued to paint. I have had the wonderful um, experience of having a gallery that now shows my work, Contemporary mm -hmm. Art Matters, which has been really wonderful. And create the podcast and just connect with so many artists who are making incredible work, who want to talk about it. And just have this creative life, you know, it, it, it feels really good. Now, of course, there was like some major speed bumps <laughs> in the past, but yeah, I think I might've talked about that in the last episode. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, and again, that's so interesting. You know, I think one of the things that we were talking about was just, you know, the ways that we kind of keep adding to our studio practice and, you know, certainly, you know, kind of having all that experience and then obviously experiences a artist, you know, to start a podcast, obviously, I think hopefully if, unless you've been living under a rock, you know, people have heard of, I like your work podcast, which is, you know, super interesting. And, you know, you're always bringing on people that, you know, not only just talk about art, which is, you know, something that I certainly tend to focus on. I was that person in graduate school that just be like knocking on doors and just being like, Hey, can I interrupt you for two hours? You know, um, <laughs> I love but you also kind of bring on all of these 
different people that kind of help, you know, in terms of organizing taxes or coming up with strategies for, you know, marketing and, and things like that. So again, it's really interesting to think about that aspect of, you know, your life as an artist, because obviously I think all of those kind of hats certainly kind of feed your studio practice. And I'm sure just kind of, you know, make everything really full. I, I can't imagine how you schedule it all, to be honest. <laughs> Well, you know, it's really interesting. The podcast started because I, I love being in people's studios, uh, love talking about artwork. And then as it progressed, you know, it's one of those things like those conversations around taxes, around any of the other side of being an artist, I always had kind of avoided when I was younger. Mm -hmm. Not only had I avoided them, but nobody talked about it. So it seemed like something that we weren't supposed to concern ourselves with, that this was something that artists just didn't care about or shouldn't care about. You know, you should really only be focused on the painting. And while there is a certain time and place where, yes, you only need to be, you know, in your studio and creating and making, there is the practicalities of, you know, being able to sustain a life and how to sustain a life. So as the podcast in my life has changed, I was really excited to be able to learn not just about, you know, what somebody was doing in their studio, which I, of course, was curious about, but also how they were doing other things in their life. And the more I talked about it, I realized there were all these artists out there who felt the same way, right? Mm -hmm. That you know, we didn't get that education in graduate school. I don't I don't know if they're talking about it more now. There was also the change of having Instagram and websites and social media. And all of that seemed to really be starting probably when I was in grad school. Um, I was in grad school at Boston University from 2007 to 2009. So, you know, like Facebook had started right before that. And so all of this was kind of this new realm that artists were starting to really lasso and use. So I think that also change the conversation a bit because we have more power to be able to show our work and connect. So yeah, now we talk about making work, about what we're doing in our studios, and then all the other stuff mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> that that goes on. So it's it's been a lot of fun and it's really been educational for me as well. You know, one of the things that it reminds me of too is, you know, thinking back to graduate school, there's all these exchanges of ideas related to this studio work, mm -hmm. different approaches, different techniques. And that totally makes sense to kind of relate that all of these questions that you don't learn at that time, you know, where nobody's concerned about anything like, you know, where do I live? What do I do for a living? Mm -hmm. You know, how do I support myself? So to kind of build out those resources and be able to share those with people, super, super exciting. And I'm, just really impressed to see how all of that's kind of, you know, worked out for you. And I guess to kind of turn this now a little bit towards your work, because I'm mm -hmm. sure we'll jump around a little bit. This will be kind of a interesting podcast, I hope, for a lot of people listening. Because, <laughs> you know, like, again, it's kind of, you know, one of these weird things, you know, when you're talking to somebody that's that's a podcaster, you know, somebody that's kind of juggling, you know, that aspect of their life while also kind of maintaining a, a studio practice. Maybe talk a little bit about that. I know that in checking out your site, and again, everybody, if they haven't, it's uh, ericabhess.com. You know, there's tons of work there to check out. And it's, you know, kind of interesting to me because initially that first introduction that you had, you talked a little about nature, landscape, mm -hmm. kind of being out in the woods when you're a kid. And you can certainly see that present in the work and, and through a variety of different work. Maybe we'll start there. What do, you, what do you think about that in terms of the relationship of, I guess, the arc of your work? Because it seems like something that even in the earlier figurative paintings on your website still has that element of, 
you know, the environment or landscape or kind of, you know, examining that. Mm -hmm. So going back to when I when I studied my BFA, you know, I was trained from life. So I worked with the model a lot and did a ton of landscape painting, you know, so I was able to work with my main mentor, Glenn Sebulash, and then Stanley Lewis when I was at Chautauqua. And I loved landscape painting. I love what the landscape has to say. I love looking and seeing how things shift. And it's such a rich environment. But I hate painting outside. (laughs) (laughs) So it was like a really big issue for me, you know, like some people love loading up like, you know, like some type of wagon or their car Mm -hmm. and getting out there and braving the elements. And I just like hated it. Like I would like get paint everywhere. Like I'm, I, I can be kind of klutzy sometimes. So, you know, like I remember just like breaking this like glass jar I had of cadmium and Mm -hmm. it was just like a disaster. (laughs) So I really knew at a pretty young age that while I like to go out and sketch and do that type of stuff, that my, my serious practice would be a studio practice. It would be in a studio and I would mine the world around me for ideas and then bring it into my studio. And, and that's, basically why there is such a reference to the landscape in most of my work. You know, um, there's such a wonderful ability to look at the world around you. It's so rich and filled with ideas that I would not be able to just invent out of my head. So I look at the landscape as a way to enrich my ideas and my vocabulary and then bring it into the studio and then work from the painting I tend to start my paintings with a little thumbnail sketch or an idea that I have, but the work itself is pretty much invented and responds to things that are going on around me. And the landscape has just been such a good touchstone for me because it's also really filled with so much narrative, you know, because there is the history of the landscape within painting itself. And then there is also the idea of the wilderness in mythology and myth of going into the wilderness to find yourself, to get lost, like all these different ideas. So I find it really wonderful that I can play off of both of those. And to be honest, I just, I love getting lost in a painting where I'm creating shadow structures or leaves or being able to create that space all around me as I, as I work. So yeah, that's really where the landscape comes from. And, and also touching back to, to what you said about, you know, I grew up in the, in the countryside and I, I hiked all the time. I would go out by myself. It was kind of where I could go to escape. Mm-hmm. And I know that that is where it comes from as well for me is it's in some ways this really magical safe space for me mentally. And so I think that's another reason that it's pulled into my work. Yeah. And it's really interesting to think about, you know, the different iterations of it, because for the most part, even even some still lives will have, mm-hmm. you know, some aspects of landscape in them. And I really love that idea of maybe essentially, you know, kind of thinking about the structure, the forms that you're kind of seeing in there and then really kind of experimenting and, and playing around with color, especially maybe maybe talk a little bit about that in terms of you know, your approach to color, because obviously being trained in observation, you know, certainly there's some there's some work that has those elements in there, but there's always this vibrant color. Mm-hmm. Is there a certain strategy that you'll kind of, you know, adopt or is it something that literally like as you're maybe working in a, a new series, it's it's something that you just kind of let that process kind of bring it up for you, I guess. Originally, when I was working from life, it was, you know, a lot of earth tones. I would never have bought a synthetic color. (laughs) (laughs) I was like a purist that way, you know? Mm -hmm. And once I hit grad school, 
I was like, why am I sticking to this palette? Like, I really want to be able to expand. I want to be able to experiment. And so I literally went to the art supply store and I bought like every synthetic color I could find, every bright color that I would have basically scoffed at when I was younger and been like, oh my gosh, like, you know, what am I going to mix that with, you know? And that was really where it started. And my palette just got really, really hot at the time. And I loved how it started to talk about temperature, you know, and feeling from that. Like, color is a really emotional thing. I mean, hence why marketing has grabbed onto it so much, right? Mm -hmm. Like color makes people feel things. And I've discovered that these really intense palettes that I tend to use that have pumped up color tend to make people feel something, which is akin to happiness of some sort or something, you know, pleasant. I still remember during my graduate show at Boston, uh, most of the paintings there were pretty dark and heavy. And I had just discovered like fluorescent pigment from Guerra pigments in New York. And I was mixing my own. And this guy, this random older gentleman walked up to me and he said, your paintings are the only ones that aren't making me depressed in here. Not to like downplay like my peers there because they were incredible painters and making incredible stuff. But that's that's what he said. And it, of course, came out of the palette in his response to the palette. You know, mm -hmm. what I try to do as I approach new paintings is I'm always kind of rotating through. So if I make a green painting, then I'm going to make a blue painting. Then I'm going to make a red painting. Then I'm going to make an orange painting. Then I'm going to make a yellow painting as a primary color uh, and then really work off of that. So I am always trying to kind of rotate through them and start with a different color in mind or a color combination. And then as the painting progresses, I will add color that I feel um, needs to be in there. You know, uh, like, for example, I was just working on this um, orange and blue painting. I'm looking at it right now. And, you know, I needed to add different colors as I was working into it. So I added like this kind of magenta color that could kind of pop out of out of the blue that was starting to create this field of, of grass that was surrounding this puddle that I was creating. So I'm always kind of adjusting and readjusting. So I've also come up with this new quote unquote painting rule for me. Mm -hmm. I have like a list <laughs> of painting rules that I'll put up as I'm working. What it is, is that there always has to be something ugly in a painting. If I'm going to be making these paintings that are kind of charged and, a, and have this positive feeling in them through the color, like there has to be something ugly. Like if there's beautiful color, there needs to be maybe um, an ugly application or like a piled up area of it. But there always has to be something that sets it off a little bit. Because otherwise, it just starts to feel too polished and almost like it is a marketing ad, you know, mm -hmm. and not a painting. And so it's always about finding that balance for me in a painting itself. So that's that's kind of how I tend to regard the color. Although I will say during COVID, you know, we were all going through so much and I had my, my son Aiden and I ended up going through postpartum depression and it was really, really tough. And I would come into my studio and I'd have these like bright paintings in my face and I, I literally could not deal with it. And so 
what I did was just get really dirty turp and just like muddy the colors. You know, I went back to a lot of earth tones and had to work in a much more restrictive palette because those bright colors, I could not work with them. And it just highlighted to me again, the emotional ability to impact you that color has. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I've been working with color recently. I'll also make smaller paintings that have certain color combinations. And if I strike a color combination I really like, I'll use that in another painting that's larger so that I don't have to not waste paint, but I've already kind of figured out something that's working and then I can take it to a bigger canvas and, you know, still, of course, always respond to the painting, but I at least have more of a bone structure for the palette. Well, and I would imagine too that you're likely an artist that kind of bounces back and forth between different paintings as you're working through them and kind of allows Mm -hmm. them to kind of speak to each other. I think that's one of the things that's interesting. Obviously, we're working away in our studios and you you kind of don't see these things in the same space. But even just in the images that you have sent, I could just imagine, again, you've got this painting going on this wall, this painting going on that wall. And there's almost like a conversation that starts happening or kind of ways that they start to kind of maybe not influence each other, but You know, it could be like you were saying, you know, like I have this strategy going on in this one. I'm going to change it up for this one. Maybe talk a little about that process of just kind of juggling these, because I would imagine some of them maybe come quicker than others. I do always work on multiple paintings at once, and I tend to work in a series and I have multiple series that are going. So right now I have a muted palette series that I'm working on, which is called Reflections on Drowning. Mm -hmm. And uh, I sent you a few of those images. And that was that really came out of that time in COVID where I just could no longer work with that really hot palette. Then I also have the Fertile Bodies series, which are um, what I call puddle paintings. So they're based off um, these collections of water and puddles and the movement in the puddles. And those come a lot faster because those are really concerned with paint application and color combinations and also having the shape of the puddle that is just playing against the edges of the the canvas. And so those I always try to make myself work through really fast. They also have to be wet on wet to get the kind of paint movement that I want within the water areas or within like the grass areas of the puddles. So those have to be done a lot faster. And I have a series of five larger paintings that I'm working on right now. And they are, I'm like looking at them. (laughs) (laughs) They're all up against my wall of my studio. And those, of course, because they're larger, they're slower. And I think the beauty in that is, you know, I'll set up the smaller fertile bodies paintings around them and, and look at that fertile body, the smaller painting, and then look up at the larger painting and see like, is there a place like where I have a really great movement of my brush that I like, and then how can I make that larger? And so what's really happened is I've started making a lot of my own tools. I've always kind of done that, but now I'm like taping a lot of brushes together or using like mop heads that I've gotten from the dollar store or something like that to apply paint. So I can get the same type of application of paint that I have in a smaller painting on a larger scale, you know, because that's the beauty when you're working smaller, right? Is like, you can get like, you know, like, I don't know, 16 brush or whatever. And you, you can get this great mark that just sits there. And then you get to a big painting and you're like, oh, I would love to have that type of movement in this painting, but what am I going to do? And that's where I got the mops. Mm And that really came out of looking at those smaller paintings that I have beside the larger paintings. So right now I'm actually getting ready for a solo show at Marietta College that will be opening in February. 
And so the larger paintings that I'm working on, I'm hoping will really hold the space. And because it's a solo show, I, of course, want them to feel like they're they're really speaking to each other. So that's the other really wonderful thing about for me anyway, working on more than one painting at a time and bouncing between them is then there seems to be this thread that connects them. So once they're in that larger space together for the show, there is a conversation happening there because it's already happened in the studio. Mm -hmm. No, that totally makes sense. And I guess to be more specific with these reflections of drowning paintings, Mm -hmm. one of the things that strikes me obviously we've got this figurative element and that's also something that's been you know kind of utilized in in a lot of different work that you do it seems like there's times where that might be based on someone versus something that's more reflective or even maybe ambiguous i mean are there particular like strategies that you utilize for these particular paintings like the first one uh, reflections on drowning i mean is that kind of something that's more of like a mental kind of thought relative to the pandemic and kind of thinking about being in that you know kind of <laughs> state that we we've all been in in the past i don't know like i said 17 months it seems like we've been in this weird flux of like some alternate universe you know mm-hmm, and it mm-hmm. really strikes me about that relative to the paintings because even just at a casual you know glance somebody might kind of miss that aspect at first and then kind of notice that there's oh this is figure kind of in here maybe talk about these uh, for a little bit those paintings really did come out of the pandemic and there was a couple of things that were happening then there was just so much upheaval social upheaval people being kept away from their families i mean it was just such a heavy heavy time and that was also when i had my my son and I ended up going through pretty severe postpartum depression after having him uh, because there had been some like medical things that were happening and it was just like my life had been flipped upside down on itself and with everything else that was going on that so many of us feel like there was job loss, just so much. I we, we live across from a pond and I was looking out there while I was nursing my baby and I just felt like I was sinking below the water. Like I just pictured me sinking below the water and, you know, there's like leaves floating on the top of it. And I thought, oh my God, this is how so many of us feel right now. It just feel like we're, you know, just drowning, that we're just sinking. I also have to mention that I, I find the fact that we use water to describe our emotional state so much really intriguing. So when I was first going through this stuff with Aiden, you know, I felt like, you know, like the waves were crashing over me. Like these are the the ways we describe emotions is water. And so I decided to just go for it. A lot of times I will have ideas or just kind of see something and I have to just go for it. And I have to paint it. And they don't always see sunlight. Like I don't always show them, but I do feel like if I see it and I I do a quick sketch of it, that I've got to go for it. It was like the same thing with the tiger painting that I had. Like it was just something I needed to make and I saw and I went forward. So, um, with the reflections on drowning paintings, I, I started making them and I knew I just wanted to have this face that looks like it's in the water or maybe being reflected on the water. And a lot of my work does have a bit of an abstract quality to it in terms of, I like to flip up the picture plane, you know, so that it's not exactly a realistic space that you're looking out into a landscape, but rather, Mm -hmm. are you looking down on a puddle or a landscape? I like to have that ability to kind of have a foot in both worlds of being representational, but really having strong aspects of abstract work in it. And this seemed like a perfect place to do that. And so as I started building the portrait into the piece, 
what I've done like historically is I tend to kind of have these generic faces that I would use so that anybody could kind of see themselves in it. And they were just kind of, I would build them myself. You know what I mean? Like I wasn't looking at anyone or anything, but because we had been separate, you know, because I wasn't seeing faces, I was seeing masks or I was not seeing anyone because we couldn't meet up anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I really felt this strong urge to paint specific faces. Like I wanted to have that in my studio. So I started pooling resources. One of the people that is kind of painted into uh, one of the reflections on drowning pieces, um, actually I discovered as I was painting it, started to look like this person that I've been following on Instagram who was actually battling cancer. I do not know them. <laughs> I'm not like close with them, but she was going through something really, really hard. And I was too. And so I felt this kinship in her vulnerability and the humanity of like being somebody who's dying, you know, mm -hmm. um, there was so much death around us and so much loss. And I think, you know, it was hard, but it also made me strip away a lot of the frivolous stuff that was happening. It didn't mean that I was becoming this extremely negative person, but like we're human beings, we die, you know, I mean, there is this endpoint, and really starting to feel that because we were seeing it so much, it, it came into the work. That is when I started asking friends of mine to send me photos of themselves uh, with their plants so that there would be this reference to the wilderness or to the landscape. And it was also because we were all, so many people were caring for their plants and they couldn't care for other things at the time mm -hmm. uh, because they couldn't maybe see parents or friends. And so I started using those too in the paintings and the reflections on drowning and also in a separate series, the, the COVID portraits that I did. And sometimes I would bring two faces together. Sometimes it would just be one face. It was really great to be able to see my friends though, mostly artists. I would hang their photos up in my my studio. And that was also when I realized I, I didn't know how alone I had felt. You know, mm -hmm. I just thought, whatever, I'm an artist. I'm by myself a lot anyway. But seeing their photos in here, I really realized that I was being impacted by the isolation more than I originally anticipated or thought. So that's a bit about making the portrait pieces and also the reflections on drowning and having those those um, more specific portraits that I was painting. There's such an amazing kind of quality between the like soft areas of the paintings and then areas that are maybe a little bit harder, more defined, more crisp. But I just love that kind of boundary, especially with the water. I mean, there's this kind of this looseness and almost lyrical quality, too, because we've got like those kind of like layers that might be blended more and kind of transition. But then there's also like this line quality that kind of really jumps out and, you know, again, just kind of gives someone a lot to look at. And, you know, I, I kind of tie that back into what you were talking about in terms of, you know, thinking about them and the way that abstraction can kind of influence them. As you were kind of saying before, it's not like these are meant to be, you know, super representational, but I just, again, I love that quality of the, the paint that's not only soft, but again, the way that you kind of use that line to kind of, kind of add these layers layers and kind of kind of create this like stacking of space, which is, is super interesting to me. Oh, thank you. Thank you, David. I really appreciate that. And that was the other thing that working with the water really allowed me to do was I'm always interested in application of paint. You know, it's something I love. I love seeing in other people's paintings, uh, the different ways, like the different, the different 
vocabulary that we have in terms of applying paint. And the water plus the landscape really gave me a lot of space to be able to explore and to utilize different ways of mark making to make a cohesive painting that did have movement that I wanted and did have uh, it, it have the paint sit in a way that made sense to me. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that. I'm glad that you see that in my work. You know, one of the other things too that I think about is the way that we think about, you know, the impression that someone gets online you know i think it's i think even a movie right the documentary the uh, social dilemma they've recently kind of talked about like facebook algorithms kind of like dividing everybody and it's just weird because we're so used to kind of thinking about the perception of someone through this digital process and so to hear you kind of talk about you know that idea of feeling isolated you know obviously going through some difficult experiences and trying to kind of like imbue that into painting and kind of reflect on that. Again, it's really interesting to me too, because I think again, as an outsider, you know, somebody might never get that impression in terms of thinking about, you know, what you're going through, even in, in terms of what you're doing in your work, especially when from an outside perspective like mine, I mean, I might look at it and go, wow, you know, Erica's just really busy and just constantly doing cool things and everything's fantastic, <laughs> you know? And Again, I, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about interviewing artists and, and talking to different artists as well. You know, you kind of really see these other other levels or other layers to them, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it is really interesting. And it, it's something that I, I think about, like, I'm like, how much do we share online versus how much do we not share online? And mostly when you have a podcast, right? And so we are speaking a lot. It's, it's how much do we share? Mm -hmm. I find it interesting, like this idea of curating your life online and what that looks like and, you know, not wanting to make it look too perfect, but not wanting to be like, oh my gosh, you guys, I'm so depressed. <laughs> you know? also, right. It's like, how do you hit that fine line? And, and for me, you know, I just decided to just put it all in the paintings and just, um, just share the work as I created it. And it ended up being a pretty fruitful time, to be honest, in terms of making, which was surprising because to be honest, when I made those collections on drowning pieces, I was like, what the hell am I doing? Mm -hmm. Like, <laughs> it felt so different from what I was doing before, which I was getting a lot of traction with, you know, like the flowers and like talking about myth and women. And the thing is, I'm still talking about all that stuff. But I didn't know that was where I was going when I did the reflections on drowning, which has led to, you know, the fertile bodies puddle series and then the larger work that I'm working on. And that's the thing about being a painter, I feel like, is sometimes you just have to trust it and you've got to go with it. And even if it ends up being a series you don't show anyone, it still has to be made because it gets you to that next spot. And I think it can be really scary to do that. I know I was like, again, what the hell am I doing? Why would I make this? But it seemed like the only thing that I could make right then because the circumstances were pretty dire at that moment for me. So it forced me, it forced my hand, you know, and I'm trying to learn from that and take that into the next phase of, of what I'm making that when something feels a little bit risky or like a little like, Oh, I don't know about that. Mm -hmm. That's really the way I should go in my work. And something to think about in comparison, then the Fertile Body series, obviously, it seems like still it's it's kind of loosely based off that idea of, you know, reflections, water, but then likewise, that vibrant color is back in a big way, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe talk a little bit about that in terms of, you know, was there like kind of just like a moment where you just kind of like shift work and just kind of be like, you know, I really want to just focus on, 
this kind of like abstract quality with these reflected surfaces? It really just happened one by one with each painting. So I made the pieces in Reflections on Drowning and I actually had a studio visit coming up and I needed more work. And I was like, okay, you know, here's what I'm going to do. I am going to, I tend to work 24 by 30 and then 36 by 42. And then uh, my, my big panels, which are around like six by eight feet. Mm -hmm. So um, I was like, okay, I'm just going to gesso a bunch of these 24 by 30s, or I also do a 24 by 24. Uh, <laughs> but I find that if I work um, just in these certain parameters that I can work through ideas quickly if I need to or clearly. So I started working on these puddles and there was about six of them I was working on at one time based off reflections on drowning. And as I was working through them, I was also working through, you know, a lot of personal things and coming out of this postpartum, finding treatment, that type of stuff. And I noticed that my palette did start to go back to more of this vibrant place, but it was more balanced in terms of having, like I said, the idea of beautiful, ugly, like there has to be something beautiful in a painting for me and there has to be something ugly. Otherwise it just doesn't really stand up for me. And so that's really where that became a major part for me was, was working on these puddles where there might be this beautiful color, but then there had to be something else like ugly within the painting. And those happen fast. I was really surprised by how quickly I was able to build those. Although it was partially because I, I used stand oil in those ones to kind mm -hmm. of slow down uh, the drying process. I'm working wet on wet in order to get kind of the effect with the paint that I want. So they kind of have to be worked quickly. And when I started to see the result, like, okay, this is from one like six hour studio session. Okay. I am putting a timeline on myself. Like I, if I start one in the morning, it has to be done by that night and you're not going to touch it. And putting that weight on myself for those was a really positive thing because I was able to work through a lot of ideas and work quickly so that I could take them to my larger pieces that I'm working on right now. And so when I was working quickly like that, like I said, the, the palette just started to brighten up and it was also just personally, I was feeling better and we were kind of coming out of COVID and it was becoming summer and, and, you know, it's, it made me realize I never wanted to share that my work was such a reflection of me in some ways. I wanted to keep myself separate. Like I'm a painter. I make this work. It's based off of these sketches I'm making, the composition and color theory, da, da, da. But I think COVID really made me open up in terms of saying, no, my work really reflects a lot of what's going on in my life. And I'm not painting directly what's happening in my life. You know, I'm not painting me having a child or something like that, but it's about uh, the surrounding emotions with it. And once I, once I owned up to that, I feel like things became much easier to create and also write about because I've been working on my artist statements. And that was a really great thing for me to really just be like, yep, this is, this is what's happening here. Well, so it's interesting to kind of think about, you know, the vibrancy has kind of come back in these paintings. And then, you know, we were talking about how these, I guess, puddles and puddle shapes, water, all of that has kind of also been brought back in with the figure in these really large paintings. You said some of them are like up to nine feet. 
Uh, around eight feet. So okay. six to eight feet. Yep. Mm-hmm. So again, obviously there's a huge shift in scale there. I would imagine that requires a little bit of a different strategy and approach. Uh, is that where the, the handmade kind of painting tools come in? And <laughs> Yes, yes, it is. So what was great about making these larger paintings that I'm working on right now is that it really combined Reflections on Drowning and the Fertile Body series into um, these larger pieces. Because like in the, in the scale of the Fertile Body pieces, which are about 24 by 30 or 24 by 24, you can't put a figure in that for me in what I'm making. Like mm-hmm. it just felt like really hard. I tried a couple of times and it just didn't suit the scale of the puddle to the edge of the canvas. But in these large pieces, it needs a figure and the figure is almost life size in them, which is really incredible for me. So it really does combine both aspects of the different types of work. And so what's, what's really cool is that, you know, in one of them, there is a a reflection of someone like in the reflections on drowning. Another one, it's this larger puddle and there is actually a birthing figure for like a water birth, this type of idea of fertile bodies. It has been a different approach in terms of, of it has to be pretty fast at first, like getting the paint laid down for the first couple of not layers, but because they are so large, they are going to be drying. I never think in layers. That's, you know, I think that's more of an acrylic (laughs) mindset in some ways. And I can't, that's why I've never done well with acrylics. I feel Mm -hmm. like acrylic painters, please feel free to, um, (laughs) trash, trash you on Instagram. Yes. Yes, exactly. No, please don't. But (laughs) The acrylic painters union. And I I love acrylic paintings and I've, I have like spent so much money before being like, this is where I'm going. I am going to become an acrylic painter. And some of my best friends are acrylic painters, but it's just never worked for me. And I, I think it's because for me, acrylic seems to work in layers and for oil paint, which is what I use I always think of it of hitting side to side, edge to edge, you know, I never think like I'm going to lay this down and then this is going to go on top of it. Everything is just kind of being painted edge to edge. I'm really obsessed with edges, to be honest, in all my paintings. Mm-hmm. Um, so it has to start fast. I have to have a good chunk of a day to really dive into that painting and get it set up. And then from there, whenever I'm going to go into it, I, I again have to have a good chunk of time because I really want that type of wet on wet painting in certain areas. So that's been the biggest adjustment for me, to be honest, is it has to be a larger chunk of time. I have to have larger tools tools to be able to get the paint to work the way that I want it to work in them. And then of course it's bringing a whole figure in with the puddle itself. So kind of bringing everything together. And also I feel like, you know, larger paintings, if you have a figure in it, there's going to be a narrative that starts to come out of it. And so that's like another part of it that I'm, I'm thinking of is the narrative or what's happening in the painting and how somebody is going to be responding to it as they stand in front of it. So definitely more complex, lots of stuff happening, but I love it. I love working on large paintings. Mm -hmm. So invigorating, you know, (laughs) I'm curious, especially too, like relative to the idea of narrative or, you know, kind of having, you know, figures, I guess, interacting or, you know, caring, it looks like in, in one of the paintings that you have in process, I think about it and I just kind of, I'm curious, like, is that like narrative process? Is that something that like, is something that's kind of weighing on your mind? You get like something, you know, caught up in your head or, you know, I'm just kind of curious then if, if you're still doing like, you know, preliminary drawing studies and things like that, that might inform, you know, maybe the composition of one of these larger paintings. 
Yeah, so I definitely do preliminary sketches for these larger pieces. They can come out of one of the Fertile Bodies puddles paintings that I've Mm -hmm. made, um, or it can come out of, again, just kind of having like an idea or a flash of an image, and then I'll sketch it out really quickly, like on my phone or whatever. This might sound a little crazy, but I have pretty vivid dreams. Mm -hmm. I will pull imagery from my dreams for the narrative. And then the narrative really works itself out as I'm creating the painting. So I have symbols that I kind of work with or think of as I'm making it that tend to, you know, of course, repeat like the puddle being one, a certain type of flower being another, a flower, a fruit, the figure itself, a birthing figure. I think of different ways as they come together, like what they can mean. And The interesting part about it is while I start with a sketch, the painting never ends up looking like the sketch. The, Mm -hmm. you know, the sketch is just a starting point. And then I'm always responding to the painting. I'm always responding to the painting. What does the painting need? What do I need to do next? What am I going to do? And they, they are inventive. And so if you're always responding to what the painting, the visual painting needs, you know, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to add something yellow here. Well, then it's got to play into the narrative. So that's how the narrative kind of changes and builds. And I'm almost like telling a story as I make the painting because the narrative is definitely not figured out beforehand, although I feel like that would be a lot easier for me. Mm-hmm. If I would do that. <laughs> but sadly, that's not the way my brain works. So it's being written as it's being painted. Yeah. And I'm curious, you know, you were mentioning a little while ago that you're, you know, working on all these towards a solo exhibition. Maybe talk a little about that. Do you have like a, a game plan in mind? I feel like I'm always, you know, in that position, I'm always kind of like working up to the last minute or, you know, wanting to kind of finish up something else. But I mean, do you have like, I, I guess, a bunch of these going then that you're you're planning on, you know, exhibiting in February? Yeah. Yeah. Great question. You know, it's interesting because originally this exhibition was going to be last February and then COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And so I had this original plan and I was, you know, I know the square footage, I know the walls, I know what size paintings I wanted to do. And I was like cranking towards it. And then the pandemic hit. And then, you know, I went through this depression, which I wasn't anticipating either. And so I'm really happy that the show got canceled and moved to this year, but then it was like, okay, Now you have one year to get ready (laughs) and ideas have shifted because the world has changed so much, you know? So these five paintings that I'm working on are going to be probably, you know, like the cornerstones of the show itself. And because I, I work the way that I do in terms of letting the, the painting kind of push the narrative forward and bouncing between the paintings themselves, they're going to be talking a lot about birth and death um, and social issues that we're facing right now. Uh, One of the ones that I was working on and it actually became too much to work on is two uh, Pieta figures. So, you know, the dying male in the arms of a female figure Mm -hmm. that are embracing hands at the bottom. And it was really sparred on by all the racial injustice that was happening in the United States and George Floyd. Mm -hmm. George Floyd hit me really hard because I was already dealing with a lot of things and it was just gutting to see this happen. And there was a lot of protests here in Columbus, as there should have been. And I just... I can never imagine what it's like to be black in America, and I'm never going to understand that. And as I was watching all of this, my heart just broke for everyone that was having to deal with raising a son, being scared of what's going to happen to them in the future, you know? 
And so that was why the Pieta made so much sense for me, um, because I was also, you know, raising a son who at the time we didn't know if there was going to be some medical complications. Thankfully, he's okay. Mm -hmm. Thinking about what his future might look like, you know? So that's really where that painting came from. And I've returned to it now and it really is enfolded and informed all the other paintings, which have to do with birth, death, that time in between. And it's been a powerful experience for me to make these paintings. So those are the paintings that are going to be shown in the exhibition. And then there's going to be some of the Fertile Bodies paintings as well that'll be in the exhibition. People will be able to see, oh, okay, this is where these ideas are coming from or the paint handling that are on the smaller pieces. I can see it in the larger pieces or I can see this theme of how the show is put together. Or at least that is my hope for the exhibition itself. That is what I'm working towards. And I'm sure I'll be working to the last minute. It's so funny. Somebody was like, oh, well, you know, you seem like you're you're pretty much like you're getting close to being done. And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> Although I've got to transport them. So hopefully they'll be dry enough. <laughs> sure, sure. Well, I mean, again, that's always exciting. And I think that's one of the things that's really interesting, though, too. I mean, you know, we've been talking a little bit about how difficult this time has been, you know, for, for so many people. But, you know, obviously to kind of hear some of those uh, personal, you know, things that are kind of going on too, you know, you've had such a productive year though. I mean, again, just kind of thinking about scale wise and, and, you know, I, I just recently talked to an artist, uh, Joshua J. Johnson, who literally will spend like a year working on a plate, you know, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it's just kind of interesting to me to think about how different that, that process is. Cause again, it sounds like you're, you know, setting yourself up with, you know, these goals in mind and just really knocking out a ton of work. So, I mean, again, that's, pretty amazing to think about how, you know, even though we've been kind of juggling all these things, you know, you're, you're kind of doing so much with, with, uh, you know, the, the time that we've been granted, I guess. I know that sounds, uh, I think that's literally from the Lord of the Rings. So I don't know if I'll edit that out, but that sounds awful. <laughs> I don't know if that ever well, happens to you where you sync up with a movie line, right? No, uh, <laughs> I, I love it. And I actually like the time that we've been granted because I feel like that has a lot to do with my paintings, to be honest. Mm -hmm. You know, we've been talking a lot about essentially what's been going on the past year, all the, all the things that we've been juggling and trying to figure out how to be creative, how to support people. You know, again, I know that it's been certainly obviously very grueling, challenging. There's been times where we second guess everything because, you know, one minute it's like this and then the next minute it's like this. And, you know, I think ultimately I try to just, and maybe it's because I've, I've shied away from Facebook, especially. And apparently mm. that's, you know, really, really kind of designed to polarize us. But I feel like at the same time, I've tried to make the most out of it in terms of like, I've never had this time to reflect in that way. And I've talked to so many artists that have talked about that. Have you found that for yourself? There's, there's been like a silver lining to a lot of this or, at least I guess now has there, has there been something that's kind of come forward? I mean, and I know that you've kind of said earlier, it's not like you're, you know, like doom and gloom or something. Obviously there's, there's this period of time of transition, but um, what kind of things have come out of it that you're, that you're excited about, especially thinking about the future. Cause I know there's all sorts of things going on with, I like your work and, you know, obviously your, your show's coming up. I feel like COVID has brought a lot of things to the surface for people. And I do feel like there is a bit of a silver lining to it because for me what has really been brought to the surface is the humanity you know of mm -hmm. of just being a human of living here with other people and the fact of the matter is is that in many ways I feel like the art world has really shied away from talking about these things and for me 
being an artist is about making work that reflects life, that reflects things that are happening. And I think that there's more of that work happening now that is dealing with, you know, social issues, injustices, uh, women artists, mother artists, like there's a much more rich conversation happening because I think we were all <laughs> stuck at home, separated, and really started to examine what was important, you know, mm -hmm. because we didn't have the distraction of going shopping. We didn't have the distraction of consumerism in the way that we typically do. You know, you can't just drive and go get, you know, a sandwich, an ice cream or a T-shirt or something anymore. You know, you're at home staring at the people around you. And I think that that really made us realize or at least made me realize like, wow, I didn't realize how many distractions I had to make me feel okay, you mm -hmm. know, to make me feel like the, you know, life is going to continue on. And I don't want to be exactly like you said, doom and gloom, but there's a lot of hardship out there. Of course, we're, we're familiar with this, but I feel like COVID made me understand it on a deeper level in terms of, you know, disability, sickness, like all of these things that happen. And, you know, my, my sister has MS and all this type of stuff, so I'm familiar with it, but it was a whole nother level of empathy that I felt like I was able to have by going through COVID and going through what I went through with COVID. And so now that we're coming out of it, yeah, I feel like I've been given this gift of being able to reflect on the past year and realize that I'm a more textured person in a positive way in terms of being able to have these this depth of feeling. It, also gave me a chance to really just maintain the podcast. To be honest, that was my goal last year was maintain because there was so much happening. And now that I'm coming out of all the stuff, we are hopefully collectively coming out to a certain point from it. I've been able to grow the podcast again. Mm -hmm. There's this really beautiful book. It's called uh, The Wintering. I cannot remember the, uh, the writer, but it's about moments of growth and moments of quietness, moments of sadness, moments of happiness. And we can't always all be happy. We can't always be pounding out new paintings. We can't always be doing that. There are moments of quietness, of being slower, of wintering. And I think I now realize how important that is to me as an artist and how important it is to all of us. And we might want to avoid it, but we need to just kind of dig into it sometimes. So yeah, mm -hmm. that's really my, my takeaway from, from the past year and a half. Yeah. I, I feel like I kind of went into like this creative survival mode where I would, you know, kind of watch the news and be really just depressed and just amazed by all the division and all this hatred that seems again to just really gonna get perked up and ratcheted up or I would talk to a friend of mine who's a nurse and you know she would kind of describe all of these patients that she's treating and affected by COVID you know I know friends that lost their jobs and it's just really kind of scary and I think for me again like I said I kind of went into this survival mode where I just started running and that was kind of like my thing it's like every day if I run you know I can kind of get through this Another thing that I think we've talked about is that, you know, I've been adjuncting, so I've been doing that over 10 years. I had to kind of revamp all of my classes, and I really wanted to do well and, and kind of do the best for my students, so that was stressful. But the other thing is, you know, big changes happen in that, you know, my wife and I have been, you know, saving for years. You know, we've been cramped into this one-bedroom apartment and just saving and saving and saving, you know, with the hopes that one day I would be able to put a down payment on a house. 
And thankfully, we were able to do that, and we moved this summer. So I've been super reflective this whole summer, just kind of thinking about stuff, mowing the lawn, you know? I mean, I have this massive uh, chunk of lawn. Everybody kind of makes the same joke about, you got to get a rider lawnmower. And I'm like, no, I, I love it. It takes an hour and 40 minutes, and I, you know, like observe birds and stuff like that. But for me, mm-hmm. like, kind of being able to take that stuff in is, is something that's been really, really helpful. And I don't know, it's been so weird, too, because, like, for myself... The idea of being a musician is just really foreign to me, so I don't even know how to describe it. And it's it's weird, you know. I was, you know, way before earlier talking about how disorganized I am, and then I literally like organized all these song folders, and I think there's like thirty mm-hmm. some song ideas in like a year, and different projects going on with that, and and so partially I think all of these things kind of just allowed me to kind of focus and kind of calm my anxieties a little bit. And I guess, you know, to kind of think about this relative to some of your other things going on, um, you know, tell us a little bit about this uh, competition that you have coming up. I believe the deadline is like in December with I Like Your Work. Yes, yes. So uh, we have an open call right now with Will Hutnick, who's been on the show of fabulous painter, great mind. Uh, He is our guest curator for it. And the deadline is December 2nd. And yeah, the open calls have been such a joy, to be honest, to put together because it's such a wonderful way for me to see new work from artists that I'm not familiar with, because, you know, we only have so much time and however the crazy algorithm works, I have no idea, but you know, sometimes it's hard to see new work. And so this really brings it to the forefront. And I'm always picking guest curators who I really respect their work and I love those shows that they're curating. So yeah, it's a really exciting time to get that together. And we just closed a show from our fall open call uh, that was actually at Piano Craft Gallery in Boston. And we had a launch party there. It was so great to see people People. We were all masked up, but it was great to be in a, a gallery together, to meet new artists, to see the work hanging together in a space. It was just really spectacular. So yeah, these open calls are, are really kind of near and dear to my heart because it's just such a wonderful way to connect with new people. And something we did start uh, last year is that now all of the open calls, we, you know, we try to partner with a space. If, if we don't partner with a space, the show itself is online and on our Instagram. And then we have a catalog that we create and that's new. And also something that really kind of came out of COVID, you know, because so many galleries shut down, well, all of them, you know, we couldn't see work in person. I think that was really hard for tons of us, you know, mm-hmm. Um, in some ways it was great to just be in the studio and make and not have that pressure to be going to shows, but there's really something about seeing work. And that was where the idea for the catalog happened because I am a catalog junkie. Like I love (laughs) art catalogs. I love looking at images off of the computer screen, you know, because I can put a bookmark in there. I can reference it for a painting. I have art history books. I mean, I just have, I have them all, you know, and that's why I was really excited to do these catalogs. So for each exhibition, we have four open calls a year. Uh, We also do a catalog that goes along with it. And that has been a new project, something that I haven't really worked on before. And it's been incredible to see people's response to the catalog and to see people looking at it in their studio and to know that your work is in somebody's studio. It's starting these new conversations that's really fantastic 
to kind of be a part of. I mean, it was just so fun to see the work and the catalogs and the artists all in Boston. It was a special moment, not just for me, but I feel like everybody in the show, because there was just this moment of like, okay, we're making this happen. We're, we're making these relationships. We're making the work. And it was, it was really, really powerful for me. Well, and that's something that, you know, kind of strikes me too, relative to the pandemic that we kind of maybe glossed over a little bit too. All of these spaces kind of shifted, transitioned, but then Mm -hmm. it seems like, you know, more, Uh, artists kind of started podcasts or started blogging or started, you know, an outlet to kind of share, you know, their viewpoint, people can kind of make their own thing and, you know, really kind of contribute like a lot of these voices that maybe otherwise don't get heard. And I think that's something that's super powerful, you know, relative to that, you're seeing all sorts of creative outlets that that weren't there before, you know, even if it's, you know, critique groups, I've, I've talked to artists that are, you know, meeting up and, and talking, um, even if it's remotely. And so I mean, even stuff like that has been really powerful to me. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I agree. It's been incredible and inspiring to see, you know, and it really goes back to this idea that you can be anywhere, you know, in the world right now. And we have this wonderful instrument that allows us to connect and show work. So you can be in a critique group. Like I I actually am meeting with a good friend of mine who's in Boston next week, and we're having a studio visit where we talk about our work. Mm -hmm. And I, I just, I love that. I love that we can do that and that it gives more power to artists to be able to do what they do so well, which is create and think creatively and problem solve. Absolutely. Well, yeah, it's been so awesome talking to you today. Obviously, it's great to have you back on after what feels like an eternity, but you know, it's just a handful (laughs) of years and there's, you know, all these developments. And I guess, you know, kind of thinking about where we started this conversation, something that's very exciting is, you know, you're going to be a juror for our pro competition this year. And just to kind of mark that 10 years, I think we're trying to really kind of pack it out. So I'm, you know, going to be expanding, you know, the amount of artists that are going to be, you know, featured as uh, podcast artists and going to have some exhibition spaces. for people to have solo exhibitions. So again, it's going to be kind of like a massive undertaking. So hopefully, hopefully you're ready uh, to see a lot of great art. Yes, I am. Thank you so much. I'm I'm thrilled to be part of this. I cannot wait to see the work. Like I said, uh, the open calls is something really near and dear to my heart because it allows me to see work that I'm not familiar with and to really connect with new artists who have incredible ideas and are making just really wonderful work. Awesome. Awesome. And again, just remind us, where are the best places to follow along? I know that pretty much everybody in the world is on Instagram, it seems like. Mm-hmm. Maybe just run down some things that, that are coming up for people to check out. I know that we were just talking about you know, your open call that closes in December, but where else can, can people find things? I know that you've even got a shop uh, yes! with, with, <laughs> with all sorts of wonderful things. So. We do. That is something new as well. So yeah, you guys, you can find me on Instagram for the podcast at I like your work podcast, uh, where we're sharing work from the artists that I'm interviewing. Like I just interviewed John Walker, which was really wonderful to talk to him and to share his work. So you can find that on there. We also share our studio visit artists work on there. And we do a studio tour on Insta TV with each artist. And that's something you can also see on our website, which is at I like your work 
thebookpodcast.com. And you'll be able to listen to all of our um, interviews on there, see all of our Studio Visit artists. This is also where you can apply to be a Studio Visit artist if you want uh, or apply to one of our open calls. It's all on there. Uh, we do have a shop now, which has been really fun. So that's where you can find current and past catalogs of the exhibitions. And we've also started working on our interview catalogs. So these are catalogs of people that we're interviewing on the show. So there is the interview itself has been transcribed uh, along with their work. So you can read along, you can write, you can see more of their work. Uh, we just released Kim Dorland's catalog over on our site. So you can see that. And we also have subscriptions. So if you are somebody who likes applying to our open calls and you like the catalogs, you can just pay 27 bucks a month and you get, uh, you get to apply to all of our open calls for free and you get 10 interview catalogs and four exhibition catalogs. So you'll be getting all kinds of stuff sent to you every month to you, <laughs> your house or your studio. And that has been something really, really been really fun to create. So you can find all of that at I like your work And then you can find my personal artwork on Instagram at Erica B Hess. So come over and say hi. And you can also see it on my website, Erica B Hess.com. And yeah, I have a show coming up in February at Marietta college. I am also going to be a curator for a few shows that are going on. So you can find all of that on my website. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for taking the time. It's been you know, a blast talking to you and, and catching up and again, just really amazing all the, all the stuff that you've been doing and what seems like such a short amount of time, but you know, again, thanks so much for doing this. Well, thank you, David. This was so fun. And again, congrats on 10 years. That is so impressive. And I'm looking forward to being part of the open call. So thank you. Thanks again to Erica for joining me. Be sure to follow her on Instagram. That's at Erica B. Hess. And of course, check out her website, ericabhess.com. Lots of paintings there. And make sure to stay up to date about that show coming up in February at Marietta College. You can also find I Like Your Work podcast on Instagram, social media. That's at I Like Your Work podcast. And of course, listen, check them out. Plenty of great episodes, super helpful for artists and insightful. Tons of great stuff. I Like Your Work podcast.com. Quick reminder that our 2021 Pro Competition is open to all visual artists. You can find out more information by visiting the competition page on Studio Break. It's pretty straightforward. You're just going to submit a small fee and links to your website and or Instagram, and you are done. Since it's year 10 of Studio Break, we're really ramping it up. We'll be selecting 10 artists to appear on an upcoming episode of Studio Break, and we'll be having two artists featured for solo exhibitions. One at Hedgehog Gallery in West Chicago that opens in 2022, and one for MySpace, Studio Break Gallery. That's an alternate space in my garage. It's going to be super awesome. That also opens in 2022, so very excited about that. Once again, head on over to studiobreak.com and check out the competition page. Quick note that this is only open to all professional artists that are not currently enrolled in school, but we do have a student competition in the spring, so stay tuned for that if you're a student. A quick reminder that we have a big archive of episodes on studiobreak.com. Each of those posts there have images of the artist's artwork, links to their websites, and of course, you can listen there on studiobreak.com or subscribe to the podcast. Some recent highlights include Kelda Martinson for episode 265, a printmaker. We had painter 
Danny Joe Rose the third on for 264. You can go way back and check out 207 with Erica Behest from December of 2018. We've had Kendra Balgren from James May Gallery on for 260. We had Mia Reesberg for 258. The list goes on and on. So many great interviews to check out once again on studiobreak.com, so be sure to do that. And of course, subscribe to the podcast. Share it with others. Let them know about this podcast. Really appreciate it. You can find Studio Break on Facebook, so be sure to like our page there. You can find us on Twitter at Studio Break and, of course, on Instagram at Studio underscore Break. Music for today's podcast features Golden Shadow, which is a band with myself on guitar, Ben Cohan on drums, Brett Beery on bass. You can find Ben on Instagram at mbencohanstudio. He's a painter, plenty of great work there. You can also find Brett Beery on Instagram at bbeery. And once again, there's a link to his Bandcamp account with a bunch of different albums there. He's also a producer and songwriter, so great stuff to check out and listen to. If you're interested, you can even check out a recent episode, number 261, where the three of us sit down and talk all about the process of writing and working on songs remotely during the pandemic. We finally got together in July, which was really exciting. But again, that's episode 261. If you want, you can follow us at Golden Shadow Band on Instagram. If you want to see some of my paintings, head on over to davidlinway.com. There's plenty of work up there. You can also find me on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter. It's great hearing from listeners on Instagram. That's at David Linaway, so be sure to say hello. If you enjoyed the podcast, give us a shout out, especially on Instagram. That's at studio underscore break. And there you go, 10 years in the books. I'm really excited about all the artists that have participated and those artists that will participate. It's always great sitting down and learning about people's backgrounds, how they create and how they contribute in a positive way to the world, to communities. And it's always just been exciting and insightful. So thanks to everybody for listening and those that have participated. I think there's going to be a lot of cool things to come. And I hope that you have a fantastic, productive, weekend in the studio. We'll talk to you real soon.